And we're on part two, the Philippines-American War, or the American-Philippines War, depending on what your jam is. Now, you, le- you left me on a cliffhanger. Go ahead and just recap it like my favorite soap opera. Last week on the Lights of <laughs> My Donkeys podcast. Uh, so we left you last week, two racist soldiers from, the, uh, from Nebraska opened fire on some Filipino soldiers who had the fucking absolute gall to walk down their own street, sparking America's first overseas war. Of colonialism. <laughs> yeah. Yep. A whole bunch of other stuff happened too, but that's all I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, now, I should point out that Grayson, the soldier widely accepted to have fired the shots that started the war, was under orders to arrest any armed men who tried to cross his position and get close to American lines. What about unarmed? Uh, that's the thing. He did not attempt to arrest the people he shot at, nor were they armed. Uh, unarmed people were not dressed you think he did that old like oh yeah see his knife right there and like pulls a knife out of his pocket and throws it on him yeah they call that the clint lawrence mm. uh, <laughs> so uh yeah uh, good job grayson you really did your, your job there there's um, nail clippers on him now some argument persists today um some people say the filipino soldiers were armed or or not uh or both sides were arguing um or whatever it's a bit of a gray zone, but I saw more sources say that they were unarmed than I saw that they were armed. For me, it's like, why? I don't would... understand how it's an argument. Well, if they were armed, it would make Grayson not a war criminal, which is important. <laughs> um, but for me, it's like, I kind of buy, uh, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, I normally don't. But if I'm a soldier, I, I've only been a soldier in, you know, since 2006 to 13. So it's like, I only have that to go off of, but like you'd expect them to have a weapon, but at the same time, the war is over. They're in their own city and they think the Americans are their friends. Why would they be armed? Yeah. So it's like, eh, whatever. Either way, why'd you shoot him? But yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, once the shooting began, soldiers from both sides began to muster, not entirely sure of what was going on or what, or who started what, uh, tens of thousands of soldiers from both sides rapidly began to, to run towards their forward positions and began to shoot at one another. What? That escalated so <laughs> fucking fast. The problem was the U.S. Army at the time only had a few officers um, for a large amount of infantry, um, and the Filipino Army's officers were all away for the weekend attending a mandatory military ball, which is all That's why you don't make it mandatory, people. <laughs> this is what happens. When I read that, I started giggling because I'm like, yep, been there. <laughs> This meant the Filipino soldiers were confused and without orders, and American soldiers were chaotic, unable to direct their attacks uh, for about the first night of fighting. One of the few captains of the Filipino army who had not gone to the ball sent a telegram to Emilio and the, uh, and the president of the declared republic uh, telling him what exactly what was happening. Um, now, any feelings of warmth that Emilio had towards the Americans had long since passed and became clear they were not going to allow his people independence. That did not, however, mean he wanted to go to war. He was a smart man, and he knew a war against the Americans would probably bring him nothing but destruction and death. 
So Emilio immediately telegraphed back to the Americans um, to end the fighting. He sent an emissary to speak with the commander of American forces in the area, General Elward Stephen Otis. Uh, Otis may have a dumb name, but he is not someone that was shy of bloodshed. He was a veteran of the United States Civil War, fighting in places like Gettysburg, Chancellorsville, Petersburg, and Spotsylvania. Uh, during his time, he was known as an Indian fighter, which uh, oh. almost certainly means he slaughtered men, women, and children. Yeah. And he was actually one of the first units to respond to the attack uh, on Little Bighorn. So really? he was uh he's very comfortable with violence against brown people. Yeah. <laughs> now, all this is well and good, but it had the downside of, of 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 him thinking that he just couldn't be beaten. Uh when Emilio's emissary went to him and said, quote, the firing on our side last night has been against my orders, which is like the closest thing you could say to my bad in a situation like this. Uh but at the same time, he kind of accepted responsibility. Okay. Even though the Americans totally started it, yeah. he's like, "Look, this is—I didn't want this to happen." He's trying to mop it up. Yeah, it, it was one of those like you know, the, you have two armed camps. This is eventually going to happen, and it was America's fault. But at the same time, like he did what he thought he needed to do to end the fighting, which America's not going to take the blame for. No, it. no, no. That so, good thing we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, yep. Now, Otis had probably never seen a brown person he'd ever respected in his life, so he responded, quote, the fighting having begun must go on to the grim end. Which is the dumbest what? fucking thing I've ever heard. That just hypothetically means war can never end ever. Okay. <laughs> Emilio knew his time as peacemaker was over. If Americans wanted war, that was exactly what, he, what they were going to get. So he announced to his officers, quote, it is my duty to maintain the integrity of our national honor and that the army so unjustly attacked by those posing as our friends attempting to dominate us in the place of the Spaniards. Therefore, for the defense of the nation entrusted to me, I hereby order and command peace and friendly relations between the Philippine Republic and the American Army of Occupation are broken and the latter will be treated as enemies with the limits prescribed by the laws of war. As the Battle of Manila unfolded, the Filipino troops saw some successes, seizing some American artillery positions and uh, pushing them back for a little bit. But the tide of the battle was quickly to change. The Filipino troops were used to fighting and were largely trained to fight the Spanish. Uh, The Spanish did not have a tendency to stick around and fight. Uh, See, they kind of had learned their lesson about what happens when you campaign out far from strong points in the Philippines which is you eventually just kind of get surrounded by the enemy. Yeah. So they would kind of launch offensives from the fortifications, win a battle, then fuck off back to the fortification. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kind of what we do in Afghanistan. You go out, get in a fight, come back. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they they didn't hang out for too long. What they faced from the Americans was an all-out assault in a 16-mile-long front consisting of 13 infantry regiments, not something they were prepared for. This quickly uh, sent the Filipino forces running. Where still, their battle plan was kind of resting on the Filipinos inside the city, rising up against the American occupiers. And you can see why this would be a huge thorn in the American side. I mean, as they would advance, they would be cut off by an angry mob or something. It would burn their supply. Some kind of popular support. Right. But that never happened. Instead, the Filipino army withdrew as thousands of American soldiers flooded into Manila. 
as if they're twisting the knife on the side of the Filipino people, the U.S. Congress officially voted to annex the Philippines just two days after the battle had ended. Really? Now that the islands were officially U.S. property, the U.S. Army uh, meant to go out and suppress the war that they had just kicked up, deploying tens of thousands of more soldiers to the islands. One of the soldiers deployed to the U.S. is a man named David Fagan. And just remember his name. That'll become important later. Just know that like Fagan was one of hundreds and thousands of Buffalo soldiers from the West, you know, Black American soldiers. Right. So like, they're going to be caught between a rock and a hard place when it comes to their ethics. It's really interesting what happens. Now, the Philippines opened the war, meaning to combat the U.S. Army in open warfare. This, however, ended up being an honorable, if not terrible, idea. The U.S. Army was not the imperial juggernaut we all know and accidentally end up serving in today, but it is still a modern army built upon the back of an industrial monster of a society, and it was significantly stronger than the Spaniards the Filipinos also could not defeat. The Filipino army was definitely none of those things. Right. While they fielded around 80,000 men, they only had about half as many rifles. Mm. Instead, many of their soldiers were untrained and armed with bolo knives, which is oh, just kind of badass. a machete. It's just kind of a machete. I love bolo knives. Uh, to make matters worse for the young nation, they had no navy, which turned out to be a real motherfucker when their coastal cities found themselves getting shelled by the United States Navy. With the army in tatters, General Luna, all-around badass motherfucker, decided an open war was just about the dumbest thing they could try. So he ordered layers of fortifications to be built around the the Cordell years. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really mountainous, rugged region, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, he fortified it, and his plan was to suck the U.S. forces into, into a protracted, irregular war, knowing that they would have to launch an offensive there. Um, it consisted of miles of trenches and lines of pits full of poisonous snakes. Indiana <laughs> so, Jones? So apparently General Luna is also a supervillain. Jesus. Like, can we get venomous snakes? Uh, well, it's not in the budget. How about ill-tempered sea bass? <laughs> <laughs> um, at the same time, Luna was still running around doing badass stuff. He set up a purpose-built guerrilla force uh, known as the Luna Sharpshooters, uh, who nice. are also known as the Marksmen of Death. Nice. And another unit known as the Black Guard. Yeah. <laughs> Dude's fucking straight metal, man. Yeah, dude, he's just coming up with even better names. Like He's like... How about this? Whoa, wait, wait, this. What about the the Scorpion Warriors of Volcano Mountain? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, he would find the best soldiers he could, and instead of training them or putting them through some kind of special forces selection that we know and understand today, he developed a different kind of initiation process. He would drive them to near where a U.S. position was and order them to attack it, all while he sat back and watched through a pair of binoculars. What the fuck? If, <laughs> the training is the if they returned alive, congratulations, you're a sharpshooter now. <laughs> like by him, by himself. No, it was like a group of them. That sounds like horseshit, dude. I would not want to be a sharpshooter. It's like General Luna. I respect you very deeply. I'm so glad to be part of the sharpshooters. Ah, not yet. Here, take this machete and attack those Americans. If you come back, I'll give you a cool hat. Like, what? <laughs> These units would train to ambush the U.S. Army and then melt back into the jungles and forests. The sharpshooters would become known as the most feared soldiers of the entire war and spearhead almost every major attack by the Filipino Army. Still more. A Fili- I think that has to do with more than of luck than skill. 
is that you got away. Uh, you know, I'll take luck over skill any day of the week. Oh, yeah, for Especially sure. Especially when it comes to getting shot at. Definitely. Because <laughs> I can tell you, I was not a very good soldier, but I never got shot. That's good. <laughs> Uh, still more, a Filipino private named Bonifacio Mariano, a sharpshooter in one of these units, would pull a trigger that would kill the highest ranking United States killed in action of the entire war. General Henry Ware Lawton. So yeah, Bonifacio's a certified badass, I guess. Um, or at least he was for the five seconds it took him to shoot a general in the face. He probably didn't even know it was a general. He's like, oh, probably All not. Right, got that guy. I would have a guy. hard time thinking he was. I mean, they yeah. weren't, uh, at the time, America wasn't exactly known for its or like heavily decorated uniforms. No. Um, so Luna would eventually, at the assistance of Emilio, order a counterattack on Manila. This would become known as the Battle of Calocan. I think I pronounced that right. Calocan. Uh, and it did not go well. As for I, who? For the, uh, for the Filipinos. Uh. As I would uh, point out before, the Filipino army was not built for open warfare, no matter how hard it tried. Uh, this, it turns out... Open warfare against a modern power is not something you can just grit your way through. <laughs> it requires certain things. Yeah. Um, that meant as soon as Luna pressed the attack, they got bogged down in fighting, and no matter how good they were at fighting, they quickly expended all their ammo, food, and water. Because um, remember, they didn't really have... He was, he was attempting to modernize the army, but it would take time, and right. he was not given that much time. To make matters worse for Luna, deep factional lines still existed in his army. These were mostly based on whatever town, city, or island you happen to be from. Sometimes it was personal loyalty and warlordism. Some units would only listen to certain commanders, while others insisted they would only listen to the president himself. What? (laughs) In one case, Luna ordered a general named Tomas Mascardo to attack, and instead, uh, Mascardo told Luna he was going to inspect his troops instead. Before he was going to attack. Now, like, it wasn't like, fuck you, I'm not going to attack. He's like, I need to inspect my troops. So he's going to do that, then attack. Yeah, yeah. But instead, what he was really doing was visiting his girlfriend. Nice. Yeah, he's like, I have to go get hit up my side piece because I'm away from my wife. I got to go inspect that ass. <laughs> the battle eventually fell apart as there's no functioning central command because some generals decided to log into Tinder instead of fighting the Americans. Luna was so mad he ordered Moscardo to be arrested, but nothing ever came of it. Disgusted, Luna resigned, but then came swiftly back into the army a short time later, accepting another promotion uh, from the president to commander of the entire armed forces, which is probably what he should have been anyway. Yeah. He was obviously he like- He sounded like he was. Yeah, he's, he has the brain for it. He has the vision. He's, he's going to modernize the entire army. You know. Uh, about a month later, he was ordered- by the president himself to go to a nearby city where he thought he was going to have a meeting with uh, Emilio. Instead, he was promptly macheted and shot to death. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, he got shot like twice and then like hacked with a machete and he still pulled out his sidearm and attempted to fight people screaming swear words at him as he went down because Luna don't fuck around. What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so there was there's a certain amount of suspicion that Luna was going to attempt to overthrow Emilio. Really? But there's not a lot of proof. That I think Emilio believed that Luna was going to overthrow him because he was so powerful. He was the only halfway decent military commander he fucking had. Yeah. And, and also, 
no one's entirely sure if Amelia ordered him to be murdered. Because uh, so the soldiers that killed him were Moscardo soldiers, and uh, at various points, uh, like Moscardo, whose career was effectively ruined after um, he was ordered arrested, uh, held a grudge because he had him detained, and he eventually was detained and found innocent of going and fucking his girlfriend instead of uh, launching an attack. Right. But his reputation was ruined, and it was kind of like it was kind of like Luna did when randomly challenging people to duels. Except Moscato didn't have the balls to challenge him to a duel and instead ambushed him and hacked him to death yeah. machete because he's a pussy. Yeah. Wow. So the American government was beginning to wrestle with this new thing called an insurgency. No matter how often they smashed the Filipino army in open battle, and they did, their ranks would simply swell once again. I think you can kind of see where this is going, can't you? I feel like I can. Yeah. Drawing from their experiences fighting Native Americans, the decision was made to segregate the civilian population away from the resistance. Filipino civilians were torn from their homes and thrown oh, to villages man. and camps where they were set aside specifically for that purpose. The property they left behind was burned, their livestock was murdered, and their wells were poisoned. Once brought into U.S. custody, the civilians were forced to provide information on the activities of local guerrillas, real or imagined. Uh, you want to guess what the U.S. government called this? Was it Oh no, no! Active friendship, really? Active, they would friendship. This that. is this is worse than benevolent assimilation. Active, wow! Friend. We're not waterboarding you. This is just what friends do. This is yeah. this is this is our friendship. Burning down active. your shit. No, yeah, we're friends. Trust us. Once inside these areas, the civilians would be unable to work, as leaving would uh, allow them to contact the resistance, who were probably their family members. Many of them. Uh, were uh, short of food and water. And as they were not allowed to work, they couldn't till the fields or the farm, forcing them to rely on the U.S. government to feed them and keep them alive. If you're thinking that it sounds an awful awful lot like the U.S. Army set up a bunch of concentration camps, you'd be right! That's exactly what they did! These camps soon became rife with disease and starvation, and in the end, around 100,000 people would be killed. How many of these were, like... A lot. A lot, a lot. Oh, uh, there's a couple on each island for the most part. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar for several ways, it should. This is largely how and why the native reservations were set up in the United States. And we would again use this in Vietnam generations later with the name of the Strategic Hamlet Program. This kind of simultaneous callback and foreshadowing of American imperial wars does not end there. Mm. Things did not go much better for the people who managed to stay out of these camps. If an American unit came under fire while on a patrol, they would simply turn to the nearest uh, local village, called, normally known as a barrio, and burn it to the ground. Well, that's it, what we called our neighborhoods in LA. Yeah, yeah. I think we can thank the Spanish for both those things. <laughs> <laughs> if people happened to still be inside, they were beaten, raped, and murdered. Okay. So it should come as a surprise to absolutely nobody when I say this only made the villages fight harder. Uh, This became known as Amigo Warfare uh, because the villagers were nice to them during the day, the Americans, and then at night they would try to murder them because fuck those guys. (laughs) They just burned down my neighbor's house. Fuck yeah. Amigo Warfare, dude. (laughs) It's pretty sweet, right? (laughs) Yeah. If American troops came upon POWs wounded or otherwise, they were offered, tortured, and executed with full authorization from their command structure. One technique they used was known as the water cure. The 
water cure. A funnel would be placed in their mouth, and they would be force-fed water until their stomachs distended like a cartoon, at which point they'd be punched and kicked until the water was expelled or they died. This is actually something they learned from the Spanish. Really? Yeah, so they just exchanged one group of shitty white people for the other. So if, if, if I was going to introduce another, reintroduce an asshole, would, would you guess it's Ar- Arthur MacArthur again? <laughs> With that name, yes. Oh, my God. So Arthur MacArthur declared in an, in an official proclamation that, quote, guerrilla warfare was contrary to the customs and usages of war. Those engaged in it divest themselves of the character of soldiers and, if captured, are not entitled to the privileges of prisoner of war. Go fuck yourself. Obviously, that order doesn't say everybody go on a rampage, but that is exactly how it was understood. Yeah. <laughs> For instance, John Roberts, who's a bugler in the 13th Minnesota Infantry which is a thing that still existed at the time, said, quote, we have been vastly more cruel than the Spanish. I have been given orders in writing that would read, let there be no wounded among the enemy dead. I thought his orders would be like, bugle the shit out of his ear. Just like Neil. <laughs> just Neil, in his ear. <laughs> the wounded in turn is like, please just fucking kill me. Yeah. I'm so sick of hearing hot cross buns. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I fucked it up again. <laughs> Hold on, let me play some smoke on the water. (laughs) Leonard F. Williams, uh, first Washington Volunteers, wrote home, but a campaign in Luzon said, quote, in the path of the Washington Regiment, there are about 1,008 dead N-words and a great many wounded. We burned all their houses. I don't know how how many men, women, and children those Tennessee boys did kill. They would not take any prisoners. One company of the Tennessee boys was sent the headquarters of 30 prisoners, and when he got there, he had about 100 chickens and no prisoners. Yeah. Yeah, so considered official policy. Uh. You know, it's, it's hard to say. It, it, it depends on what you consider here. If you see something, and I'm, 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 I'm going to ask for your opinion, and everybody else's too, because you're going to let me know anyway, That's which is fine. If there's no official policy in place of doing something, but an entire army does it, and it's not stopped. That's official policy, right? Mm. Like, if, if, if it's in common usage, and officers know about it, right? and they don't stop it, you can kind of consider that official policy. That's almost like... Um, Plausible deniability on an officer's behalf. And this is even before they had to worry about that. This is in the 1800s. Yeah. They're not going to have to worry about war crimes. Yeah, where you could be assholes for free. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think Arthur MacArthur's order is enough of a, yeah, go ahead and kill everybody. Because they don't recognize the standing army of the Philippines. Yeah. So everything is guerrilla war. Mm. Right? Technically, that's yeah. how I take it. Yeah, they're not. They don't consider. They they're not fight, technically fighting a war against the Philippine Republic under Algonaldo. They don't acknowledge its existence. Yeah. So, so like, everything they do. Yeah. Is everything is guerrilla war. warfare. So yeah, he's just like, yep. Uh, go ahead and genocide everybody. It's cool. It's fine. Oh, scumbags. Yep. Fuck. During the fighting, vastly more Filipinos died than Americans. So much so, people actually began to ask questions at the shocking lack of Filipino wounded. Uh. Don't worry, American generals had an answer for that. MacArthur simply said that was because the Filipinos were an inferior race and they died of their wounds much faster. 
Yeah. God, I fucking hate That's all it. MacArthur's. <laughs> Our, not a single good MacArthur. No. If we have a fan with the last name MacArthur, we apologize that you suck. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure some are good people. <laughs> the atrocities became so horrible that one group of Americans would just no longer take part. Dozens, if not hundreds of Buffalo soldiers, David Fagan included, tossed down their rifles and ran off into the jungle to join the Filipinos in their struggle. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. This became such a problem that the, the army passed uh, a regulation, or a, a policy rather, that if any deserter, black deserters were captured, they were to be executed. Because they knew they were fighting with the Filipinos. Uh, Fagwin would rise to the, ca- the rank of captain within the Filipino army, launching attacks on his countrymen and developing such a reputation that the president of the United States himself put a $600 bu- uh, bounty on his head, which is about 20 grand today. Yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, you I got ha- fucking recognized, I ha- bro. I have to point out that nobody knows what happened to Fagan. He fucking vanished like a goddamn phantom. No, nobody. Sh- so they claim that they killed him, but it's never been nah, proven. Fuck no, they didn't. Because kind of a lot, like a lot of people, America claims to kill. Yeah, they claim to kill him a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> and they never yeeted his body into the sea. So, like, in in my opinion, he's still fighting in the film. Oh yeah, he's still fighting today. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm 165, and I will not stop until America's destroyed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, in one area, no, dude. As- <laughs> this is like the best part of this. Yeah, it's honestly the only bright side of this entire episode. In one area known as the Balangiga, uh, American soldiers would force civilians outdoors whenever it rained. Actually, I'll... there's two bright spots. Oh, okay. When American soldiers force people outside? It gets better. This is the one time I get to say, oh, so, all right, it gets worse for somebody, but not the Filipinos <laughs> for once. Furthermore, the commander of the area was an asshole named Robert P. Hughes, who was brutally harsh on food deprivation and property destruction uh, whenever the locals questioned his rule. Like, he used it as a punitive measure. If he thought that they were getting, like, specifically rambunctious or something, that they might rebel, he's like, eh, burn their crops. So it's like he's using starvation as a weapon. Asshole. Yeah. Which is something African warlords do. So, like, fuck that guy. Eventually, the guerrillas moved into the area and began to plan an attack. Because uh, before, the civilians were not sympathetic towards them. Because they're like, you know, maybe if we're just cool with the Americans, they'll eventually fuck off and leave. Um, and if we help the guerrillas, that won't happen. But once this started happening, they're like, yeah, come on in, guys. Yeah, fuck it. Which is exactly what happens in a counterinsurgency. Which is why, like, every time, say, a lieutenant whose name might be Clint Lawrence orders the killing of two people. Uh, it, you just created several more generations of insurgents, uh, which will then kill American soldiers, which will then cause more atrocities, which will then cause more. You don't win a counterinsurgency. Yeah. You just don't win it. It's fucking impossible. You don't win it. You don't start it. It's the only way to not win it, which is what America should have learned a hundred years ago. <laughs> <sighs> so gorillas moved into the area though. As always, they were outgunned. They knew they'd have to smuggle a ton of weapons in. Thing is, they didn't have guns. Mm. What? You, Don't need them. You want to guess what they used? Machetes! Yeah! <laughs> Fuck yeah! 
Can we get a live guitar guy? Can we pay for one of those? <laughs> just to hang out here and just play guitar? Every, every time we record, just hang out here and we're like, all right, this is your cue. That's our new Patreon goal. <laughs> we're, we're going to hire someone from the local high school to just shred on their, on their guitar in a recording room. Of course, his parents have to sign. and then They can come move. too. Yeah, yeah, please, yeah. They, I we mean, don't want any underage kids here. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that sounds awful. Uh, he's going to be an eighteen. He's not going to be an underage high school kid. He's going to be a kid that's kind of failed a couple times, so he's like eighteen or nineteen. Oh, cool. Yeah, so yeah. like us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. But they knew, like, just randomly bring in a ton of machetes into a village would raise some fucking eyebrows. So they disguised themselves as a group of casket carrying mourners. The casket, of course, <laughs> was full of machetes. Oh, the irony! Yes! Now, um, machetes bring death. <laughs> the, machetes are the harbinger of happiness or death, depending on what side of the machete you're on. Uh, I mean, when American soldiers began to grow suspicious, this, this is rather large gathering of more. It's a lot of coffins. <laughs> they checked the inside of a casket. They did not find machetes. Instead, they found a corpse of a small boy that the gorillas have dug up and threw into the casket to hide their hall of weapons. Good cover. Jesus fucking Christ that is dedication to Good the cause. Good cover, dude. Like, imagine being in that meeting. It's like, all right, Emilio, how should we hide the weapons? It was like, a tarp? Uh, dirt? Someone's like, baby corpse? My son died last week. Yeah, everybody's like, are we, are we the bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, oh, you know how badass we, it would be? It would we're be, smuggling weapons among a baby corpse? Some badass assassin, assassin gorilla was inside it with a machete, just like with it crossed. And once he opened it up, just started fucking like. They did that in the Punisher video game. Did they? Yeah, I think it was like for PS2. There was a mission where you hid in a casket and they brought you into a wake and you waited for this mafia family to show up and you popped out of the casket, but you had an M60. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what the gorillas were doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it'd be cooler with machetes. Everything's cooler with machetes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's not really said where the gorillas got this corpse. And I'm not going to go into it too much. I, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> um, when the soldier saw this, he, may have, he must have felt like shit because he immediately waved the rest of the morning group through without searching them. It's like, oh, God, dead baby. Yeah, you just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, if he had searched them, he would have found that the around 30-odd group of women he thought he was looking at were actually all men in drag, smuggling nice. themselves in. <laughs> yeah. The next morning, at about 6.30 a.m., the mourners sprang into action. As almost the entirety of C Company 9th Infantry Regiment was eating breakfast, 500 machete-wielding gorillas stormed their compound, oh, God. quickly overrunning the sentries. The men inside had become aware of the attack, uh, of the attack uh, but now they had a practice at the time. You stacked your weapons outside in a little, yeah. I guess you'd call like it teepee. teepee. Yeah. Yeah. And then because you didn't bring weapons into the chow hall, which meant as soon as the machete wielding uh, groups of people came in, they were now had a 500 people in between them and their guns. <laughs> it's like imagine like I fucking told you we should have brought our guns so they were almost completely there was some like officers were allowed to keep their sidearms so there's a oh, couple cool. yeah there's a couple pistols floating around in there 
As the fighters streamed into the chow hall and began to hack them uh, to pieces, soldiers began to defend themselves with their cutlery, metal plates, and in one case, a baseball bat, which makes me, why the what fuck was there a baseball bat? <laughs> I can't bring my rifle, but I can bring this goddamn baseball bat. In the end, around 54 Americans were slaughtered, including every single officer in the company, which... I only see as a bright yeah. spot. Yeah. <laughs> the the enlisted men who survived. anything wrong. The enlisted men who survived were like, thanks. <laughs> those, we didn't like those guys anyway. <laughs> the American response was quick and about as bad as anything Reinhard Heydrich could ever think of. General Jacob H. Smith ordered his men to turn the island into howling wilderness. That is a direct quote. And they can now bring their rifles in the chow hall. Yeah, they probably changed that policy pretty quick. Yeah. He said, quote, I want no prisoners. I wish you to kill and burn. The more you kill and burn, the more you please me. I don't These guys suck. They yep. just don't learn anything. Yep, yep. <sighs> Going one step beyond super villain level villainy, he ordered his soldiers to kill anybody above the age of 10. This was a written order. Wow. Now, this is where I actually get to point out that General Smith got court-martialed. What did he get it for? All that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He was found guilty. Oh. You know what his, you know his punishment was? He had to retire early. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. There's no justice. Get the fuck out <laughs> yep. of here. Yeah. Yeah. You killed an entire island uh, under the age of or above the age of 10. Show, show me your hand. <laughs> All right. Uh, just uh, go home to your manor where you probably used to own slaves and think about what you've done. Yeah. Okay. I will. Like, they literally rubbed his nose in it and then sent him home. Yeah. Yep. God. Unfortunately, this iron fist of the Americans was working. Many wealthy former revolutionaries decided to throw in with the Americans. Because, remember, there's no war but class war. Mm. Many of these wealthy Filipinos were angling for a spot in the coming colonial government and kind of wanted to save their own money. Because if they found if the Americans found out you were supporting the, the insurgents, not only were you probably gonna die, they would take your money if they didn't kill you. So you're like, well, I can't possibly be poor. <laughs> Monocles drop everywhere. Like, <gasps> the poor's are at it again. Which like it always makes me laugh because without fail, throughout colonial history, this happens a lot. With the exception of a few places like Belgian Congo. Where, like, they still didn't allow black people to go to school. Yeah. But, like, in India, you see stuff like this happen. And, in obviously, in the Philippines, you see stuff like this happen. Where the colonial power allows the culture to oppress themselves, eventually. Yeah. Um, this happened in Rwanda and culminated in the Rwandan genocide. Uh, it happened in, in the Middle East. Um, they allow them a certain amount of power and wealth to think they're almost equals when they're not. And they yeah. turn them against each other. And that's exactly what happened here. And largely this worked, unfortunately. William Howard Taft, the future president, would come to the islands and become its governor general. He promised the rich of the islands, if they came to the American yoke, they'd be given high office and allowed to retain their titles, riches, and property. Also slaves. Fucking bastard. I left that part out. They were, bastard. They were called uh, indentured servants, though. So yeah, which are slightly different. They they were not allowed to. Uh, they it wasn't like chattel slavery, but it was like the same kind of indentured servitude going on in America at the same time. Yeah, it's slavery with extra steps. Fuck that guy and his tub. <laughs> 
<laughs> you fat fuck. I'm not one for fat shaming, but when it's William Howard yeah, Taft, when you're a piece of shit though. You can you can point him out for being a fat yeah. piece. Of shit. <laughs> this guy came to an island full of starving, oppressed people, and then turned them against each other. Fuck him. Oh, I wish he had a stroke. Actually, he may have. I don't know how he, he died. He probably did. Yeah. Anyway, this ended up being the end game for the majority of the resistance. General Frederick Frunston, aided by many Filipinos who had joined the American side, launched an operation to capture the president of the insurgent republic, oh, Emilio Aljonaldo. The Americans pretended to be POWs, captured by their Filipino allies, who were wearing captured Filipino army uniforms and marched directly into Emilio's camp. Once inside the camp, they quickly fell upon him, who immediately gave up. After years of fighting and running, he simply could not do it anymore. Now, if you remember, this is literally exactly what happened in Wind Talkers. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? So I apologize to Nicolas Cage for all the horrible things I said about him. This is based in fact. <laughs> no. No. Yep, it is. It's, it's historical fact. No way. On April 1st, 1901, Emilio Aldonado swore an oath, accepting American authority over what had been his first republic, saying, quote, let the stream of blood cease to flow. Let there be an end to the tears and desolation. Which, yeah, of course. The surrender of the president did not mean the end of the war. One man named Miguel Malvar pressed on, refusing to surrender and launching attacks against the U.S. until finally starvation and disease forced him to give up the fight as well. In 1902, Teddy Roosevelt had his mission accomplished moment. He decided that the war was over with one important caveat. He said, quote, The insurrection against the authority of the United States is now at an end, and peace has been established in all parts of the archipelago, except the country inhabited by the Moro tribes, to which this proclamation does not apply. Which brings us to the Moro Rebellion, and where we will pick up next God week. damn it. Yeah, and let me tell you, more rebellion. Uh, the jumps, shining moments. It jumps into the present in ways you will not expect. Really? Yep. Oh yeah. And that is part two. I hope you're all sad now. <laughs> like I enjoyed part two more than I did part one, but part two is so sad. God. Yep. That's. Unfortunately, it's what we do here. It is. It's like welcome to the show. I hope you brought your crying clothes. <laughs> Or not wearing any clothes. Shouldn't be. This is why everybody's like, you know, your show would probably be better if you weren't drunk all the time. Who says that? I've heard it more than once. Oh. And, you know, it's like, have you ever tried to study history sober? It's like talking, it's like talking to mental health. It's sad and horrible. <laughs> but necessary. Yeah. It's just hard. And if I wanted to be depressed a lot, I would... I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with that. I don't know. Read a history book? Read an American history book about the <laughs> yeah. West? Fuck, I don't know. It, it, it would sound good. You know, it's... This war is really... I, I keep saying this war is really interesting because of... it. You know, the joke... I, I think I've joked on this show a dozen times. Time is a big, flat, dumb circle. But, like, time is a big, flat, fucking dumb circle, and this war proves it. Oh, yeah. Because, like, this is the very first time where America dipped their toes in the, in the overseas empire pond. And it should have been an eye-opening experience. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, nope. When we nope, came nope, up nope. with another insurgency, we should have been like, this seems familiar. Hold on. It's like that comic where the guy, they're all sitting in a boardroom and like, what should we do differently? Like, have we tried burning their villages? How about killing their wives? And someone at the end's like, have we tried giving them independence? And he just gets kicked out the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. God. Yep. Which now I don't understand. What are we going to fucking with this high school kid? What is he going to drink? I drank in high school. I mean, I did too, but. <laughs> uh, a nice tall glass of water. Nice. Because he has to be well hydrated to, to play metal music. I think most metal musicians drink Jack Daniels and inject heroin. Oh, yeah. So I guess that. That too. So Will donate, we supply that with donate the to our pay, Donate to our Patreon. We'll buy children heroin. No, uh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm kidding. Kidding. Uh, we will simply uh, fund our militant group. Our arts program. <laughs> yeah, our overseas arts program that builds AK-47s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you for tuning in to part two. If you think what we do is worth a buck, you can throw it to us on Patreon, get all sorts of bonus content. Uh, if not, our show will always be free. Thank you for rating, subscribing, and sharing. Um, Smashing and-, and crashing that like button. God damn it. What are we, Logan Paul? We're going to have to go fucking videotape somebody committing suicide in the forest oh, now. Oh, man. Until next time. Later.